Welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle and entertainment podcast of the Columbus Dispatch, where we provide a taste of upcoming arts, entertainment, and leisure activities throughout Central Ohio. This is Earl Hopkins, features reporter at the Dispatch. And on today's episode, we're talking to James Alexander, the owner of Flavored Flow Studio, who's here to talk about the origins of his studio space and its place in Columbus's cultural landscape. What's your background as far as breakdancing? Because from what I read, you started out at the age of 19 and ultimately then, you know, figured out the studio aspect of it. So tell me a little bit about that process for you, just from the from your start to where it is kind of now. Yeah, definitely. So um, I was born and raised here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I do remember breaking back in the 80s and trying to mock it as a kid. And then in 1993, I got introduced to hip hop culture. And that's where I started kind of going to the underground parties and and clubs and events that were happening and um, fell in love with the culture and kind of delved in. It was really like the first time that I felt accepted and I fell in love with hip hop because of that. And um, during that time, that was right around when I got into high school. And I went to two of my, we had a fall dance, homecoming, and a spring dance, which was called Capers. And I hated both of them. I was a wallflower. And I remember after the spring dance, like that evening, I was like, man, that sucked. And I was like, you know, schools wouldn't have dances if they weren't meant to be fun. And I just decided that next school year during the dances that I was just going to while out and have fun and just not care. And so I remember through the summer and stuff, just kind of dancing in my room and just, you know, trying to have fun and teach myself just like little moves. What I didn't know if I was breaking, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just practicing moving to the music. And so that following year, that following homecoming, I just, I wild out and I had a blast with dance and I fell in love with just dancing, just booging, going out and wilding out and having fun. And that was really my first experience with falling in love with dance. And so I continued surrounding myself with the hip hop heads in Columbus and going to these events. And then I started seeing the B-boys and B-girls, the dancers in Columbus at these clubs and events. And uh, the guy that introduced me to hip hop actually found where there was a breaking class. And it was at Whetstone Recreation Center. Um, This was in 98. So I actually started when I was 18. And uh, I went to my first class and I fell in love with the dance. Um, I fell in love with the discipline and the structure and the foundation. And I just fell in love with it. I had already had a love and a passion for just dance. And this gave me a, a goal and a focus. And I put a dance floor in my basement that night. And I surrounded myself with other dancers. And, you know, this is my end game for the dance is to open up my own studio. So during this time um, through high school and stuff, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher, but school wasn't for me. So um, I was like, well, if I'm going to go to school, let me, you know, take this break. I did a couple of things, volunteer programs to try to help me get more involved with helping teaching kids to start the process of becoming a teacher. And then I, that's when I fell in love with the dance. And I was like, you know what, this is, this is me. Um, And I decided that um, I want to do this for my life and career. And that I know that if I want to do this for my life, that I have to put in as much work as I would if I were to go to college. Um, And I was in my basement eight hours a day. Um, I was going to clubs, doing, picking up performances, um, and just really focused on it. 
I started teaching in 2000 at a place called Central Ohio Dance Academy. A woman, Sharon Day, that's like my second mom now, um, was one that brought me into the studios, brought breakdancing into the studios and felt okay with bringing it into the studio world. And she just helped push me, got me a lot of other teaching jobs at other studios to further my career. You know, there, there's a lot of people in my life that helped me from introducing me to the culture and the dance to my best friend that took me under his wing, um, Rashawn Lomax, that um, put me under his wing and taught me the way. Uh, and just a lot of other dancers in Columbus that came before me that just, you know, inspired me and pushed me. Um, some were haters and, you know, that pushed me too as well. But I had a lot of studio support with Sharon Day and she just kept pushing me to doing more with my dance. Uh, she continued to pay me even when I didn't have students or classes were low. I would go in and if no one came, I would stick around for a little bit and she would still pay me for those classes. And she really stuck it out with me. I started teaching all over Columbus. I was teaching up to five studios at once during performances, traveling to compete, you know, just dancing at clubs for fun. Um, you know, the clubs were like my gym or that was like my practice for performances and for battles because it was like, yeah, I'm just at a club. I'm having fun, but it just pumped my adrenaline up. So I was able to do these moves with adrenaline and I was just really laser focused with it. You know, I did step away from my, um, goals for a little bit. My focus got blurred and life got with me and I, I started getting off my path for my goal and I was still teaching and everything, but I got really complacent and um, other things took priority, just life in general or trying to have fun. And I, you know, at 33, I recognized that I wasn't. And for a little while, I just couldn't get back to track and I had to ask for help. And I got some mentors and they brought me back and, and showed me how to really live life. Um, I matured a lot and got back on track of, of my goal. And that was to open my studio. And, you know, that was about 35 when I got back on track and I was able to open up my own studio within a year of me getting back on track with everything. And yeah, actually in October, I'll be able to celebrate my fifth year of being open. So it's been a, it's been a good, good process of fun and um, challenging process, but worthwhile. Um, I've learned a lot, you know, so, uh, one of the things that when I first started dancing and everything is that this was my plan A and if I took plan B and I focused on plan B, then I wouldn't have plan, I wouldn't have done this. So I, you know, I just knew that if I put all my work and effort into my plan A, that if I continue to follow my goal and my focus that I will get to where I need to get and want. And, you know, that's what I, I did. I, you know, got off track but sometimes we all do it's just if we are aware of when we are and to come back on track so you know i'm grateful for the people that came back in my life and um inspired me and pushed me to get to where i'm at 100 and i know with the studio right it was a former rec center and you had to essentially you know, build from the old gymnasium and turning it into what it is now. So talk to me about how that process came together with you both finding the space and creating it to what it is now. Yeah, the space, it was so, of course, one thing that opening a business taught me was like the expectations and being ready to adapt and not to be mad at the expectations that don't happen, right? And to just adapt. And, you know, this was not my first thought of what my studio was going to look like. My 
studio, all the studios that I worked at, I had a vision of what I thought a dance studio would look like. If that makes sense, right? With my hip, with uh, my hip hop twist to it, with some like the graffiti art and stuff. But the size of the room and what it would be like was nothing like what I got. And um, some of the close friends were like, "We found this venue. You should check it out." So I went and checked it out, and and actually, actually, the front room was more so the vision that I had. And the back room is this huge, right? It's like it was overwhelming and it was a wreck, right? And there's a lot of work that needed to be done and it, it just was overwhelming. And with that, the front room was my vision. And I was like, okay. So I talked to the landlord and the landlord is like, well, I can't do the front room because I got somebody about to come move in here, another business. So, you know, you could do the back room. And we, we talked and we went back and forth and um, my landlord was like, look, I will, um, we'll, we'll work something out. And, um, the deal that we come to, it, you could do whatever with the back room, but you have to do it, the renovations. So I was like, okay, deal. That sounds good because, you know, like I can get it done and stuff and do it on my, my terms and make it look the way I want to. And, uh, just with the help of friends, like just getting the stuff out of there, getting the walls painted and the walls are, was, you know, we're talking about a gymnasium. So it's, the ceilings are almost two stories high. Um, so the walls are, you know, that we have to paint 20, 20, 25 foot wall. And the, the whole main room without the stage is like 3000 square feet. So that's a lot of paint and a lot of work. So there was a lot of process going into it. And it, the vision, my vision evolved to, I started seeing the difference in what I wanted and, um, I started to adapt and I started falling in love with the room and, um, started learning how to adapt and evolve with the process and being okay with the changes. And that was a big thing. And there was a challenges all throughout the time of, of renovating it and doing the things about like, Oh, we can do this. And then it's like, well, wait a second. You know, we're, we got 25 foot ceiling so we can't do a wall right here or something like that right so some of my visions were too grandiose and i had to let those go so um it was a challenge it was fun and it taught me a lot of how to adapt how to be um an entrepreneur or owner and how to keep moving forward even though there was a barricade um that was that laid in front of me and a lot of those times the barricades were all mental uh, but it taught me a lot. Uh, I got the dream venue. Like I never, my vision was not my dream. And the, what I have today is my dream. And it, I, it's been a, it was a definitely an adventure worth taking. And you mentioned earlier your past aspirations or dreams as an elementary school teacher, right? And I know you carry those those values or that methodology with you as far as teaching both the youth and adults, you know, valuable things that can stick with them beyond, you know, a school day or in this case, a breakdancing session. Right. So what things do you try to instill in all of your students, you know, that transcend beyond the art form and really maybe are at the center of hip hop? What are those things for you? Yeah. So um, actually in this last year, some of them, have evolved and some uh, teachings have become more priority. 
Um, but you know, my, my main focus is one, especially with kids, with adults, it's, it's a little different. I want them to walk away with something that they've learned and, um, you know, be able to set goals and, and achieve what they want to do and stuff. And I think adults come in for different reasons, right? You know, some, some it's a bucket list. They're like my age. I'm, I'm 41. So they remember in the eighties or they're, you know, to teens and stuff in the early eighties and they just never had a chance to learn. And they're just like, I want to learn how to do this move. So, you know, some of it's for bucket lists. Sometimes their, their agenda is to get fit and work out. So sometimes it's for exercise. So there's, with adults, it's a little bit different, but with kids, you know, my main focus, there's a lot of main focuses, but I just want them to become young professionals and help them become amazing human beings. And, you know, my first thing about them with them is to, I want to teach them how to learn. Um, and I teach them through how to learn by teaching how I teach. And I don't want them to learn how to memorize because I could teach you what two plus two is and make you, or I can make you memorize two plus two is four. But then when you get to the real world, you don't know how to figure that out. You just know that two plus two is four. But when they get to that problem, if the teacher teaches them how to learn what two plus two is, they can solve that problem. So when I go to moves, that's my main thing is that I'm showing them how to learn, how to learn to learn and, um, and to problem solve and figure these things out. And that, that's the first thing. And that also boosts confidence because once they figure that out and they have the aha moment, they know that they can achieve and figure out anything in the world. The next is the open circle. When we dance in an open circle, it's scary. My first day, I, you know, have them dance one at a time. They have to dance their first time. I give them a little bit of, you know, hey, try this and then step out. And, you know, one of the things I'm really impressed with my kids about, too, is I ask them, you know, who was scared your first time dancing? And they all raise their hand. And what it does is it gives that first kid a sense of belonging and a sense of equality and that they they understand that everybody in this room has been where they're at. And it gives them that confidence. But also what the dance, the cipher is, is it's life. If you want something, no one's going to give it to you. You got to go out and get it. And everybody in that circle wants to dance. And no one's going to be like, okay, it's your turn. You just got to go out and get it. And if you want that shine, you can get that shine. And it's there for you. And it, and you can get it. And anybody can achieve that. And that's the same thing with life. And that's a lot of how I got to the studio. And that's a lot of what this dance has taught me is if I want to if I want it, I got to go out and get it. And that's one of the things that they, these things teach, you know, um, the level of acceptance is to accept one another of who we are, that we're no less. Um, we also know more. We are, we are all equal. We're all the same. We all carry these same, these same fears. We all, we all carry maybe not the same challenges, but we all face challenges and adversity and, um, that we all have the same emotions that equal those adversities that we go through. And that's one of some of the things that, you know, the teaching that I try to teach. I also try to teach what culture is and the importance of culture and where this, this dance comes from and why it's so important to know where this root, the roots come from, um, that this comes from an oppressed black community that, you know, where there's the values are self-worth and, and fighting social injustices and, um, all these things and that we're, and to promote equality and equity. And, and these are the things that we need to look out for and to carry these values in our life because this is what this culture's values are and the dance values. 
as well. So to try to teach those values and implement those in these kids, because that's what this culture and dance has done for me. Um, and then there's a lot of other just little life lessons, you know, hard work works. It, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't work hard. Um, you know, set goals, nothing, don't set crazy goals. Like, um, I'm going to get this tomorrow, but you set little goals to get to achieve your, your big goal. So, you know, I, I teach what foundation is, you know, the importance of foundation. And all my kids know that foundation to reading is ABCs and that if they want to become a great reader, they get their ABCs down and then they start to sound out words and they're using their foundation to become a great reader. So and that goes, that's across the board in life. And one of the things that I always tell all my kids, the only promise I give them is that if they want to be great at something, if they have a strong foundation in it, they'll become great at it. And that I teach through the dance and they see that is where they set themselves a, a strong foundation with the moves and they start setting goals like, Oh, if I get this move, then that's going to help me with this move. And then now if I had set this goal for this next move, I'll get that. And then that will, I'll be able to achieve this main goal. Right. So there, there's a lot of other little life lessons that I'm, I teach with COVID and the, all the protests. Um, my priority has changed a little bit of what I want them to know. Um, I want them to know that I love them. I want them to know that I'm proud of them. I tell them this all the time. Um, you know, I, I made it normal to say I love them every single time I see them. I made it normal to let them know I'm proud of them every time I see them, that they know that I'm proud of them for the work that they they are doing, not just because of the dance, but because of their humans, right? And they've taught me a lot. And some of the things that they've taught me or reinstilled in me is patience. They have been so patient with this pandemic. I never had one kid complain about masks. They all understand that they're wearing it for their neighbor. It's not about them. Um, their kindness. That's kind. Their kindness is overwhelmingly amazing and that they know to wear their masks for their, their neighbor, their friend. They know that their freedom's not being taken away when they have to put on their masks. They can still play. They still have their friends. They still talk to them. They know this. They know that they're wearing it for their friend, though, that, that, so they can hang out. You know, their patience and their kindness and their acceptance of others. When all the protests were happening, you know, priority of, of letting them know that they're no less than but also letting them know that don't ever make someone feel less than them as well. And one of the greatest teachings that I teach and I see now is that not only when they raise their hand that they show that the kid, that new kid that walked through the door is, you know, afraid that they show that they're afraid. That's hard to do. One is to say that I'm, I'm scared too, or I had fear. A lot of people don't want to say that they had fear because they feel like it's a weakness. But our past and our fears are our greatest assets once we get past it, right? So when they see that it helps another kid out, all my kids raise their hand. They're, they raise their hand so high because they know it's going to help that kid out. But what it does is it, it creates equality. And they understand this kid may look different. It may be, they may be a different gender. They may be anything, a different religion, they, all of it. They know at that time that everything's equal because that has nothing to do with anything except for being a human being. And, and they, you know, so like priorities of, of teaching that 
this them and on teaching them that you know people fear what that they they don't understand and sometimes that fear turns into hate and that hate will make someone make you feel less than in that you know that this is why this happens and sometimes that hate and that fear can turn violent or turn very backwards and and that is what we have to dismantle and we everyone and I'd let them know that Everyone has these fears that, and these misunderstandings that once we have those, that it's okay that we don't understand, right? It's okay that we don't understand. It, I don't have to hate somebody because I don't understand it. I just have to understand that I don't, I don't understand. And those, that's a priority for me to teach these kids. So when they come and they have this open mind of not understanding that's okay, that they'll accept that person across from them if with any given, at any given day. And that's so important. And these kids do that without being taught that. And racism and hate and all this stuff is inspired and, and taught. It's not, you know, these kids are pure. It's pure. They get it. And uh, one of the things that I had to understand and recognize, and I told them, I'm like, this was after one of the protests. We went to one of the protests and they danced during the protests and stuff. And I, and then COVID was happening, of course. And I sat them all down. And I was just, rem- I told them, I'm like, remember this day and how you feel, because that is pure. I'm like, as adults, including me, we get tainted no matter what, with media, um, social media, with, with our group of friends that we surround ourselves with. We get tainted and we think our opinions are more important than others. And we think they carry weight and they don't because they're just opinions. And, and those opinions sometimes exclude others in other groups and other indivi- individuals. And to teach that that feeling that they have at that time, at this age, to remember that and to keep and hold on to that. So when they're, they're my age, that they know what it is in that kindness and that true kindness and acceptance of others and that understanding that I don't understand is okay. And if I want to understand it's okay that I fear it, let me just go out and research and understand it. And that there will never be less than and don't ever let anyone make them feel that way. You know, and so those things have taken priority in these last couple or year and a half or so. Um, and I still push and teach all my other life lessons. But right now, human being um, characteristics, I guess, I don't know if that's the correct words or terminology is really important to me to teach. And it's just that kindness, acceptance of others and understanding that it's okay not to understand and don't let that turn into fear and hate. And, um, but you know, that those are all the life lessons that the stance and culture has taught me. And, you know, that's what I try to pass down as well. Right. And I know those lessons are that much more paramount with your students that don't necessarily have a sense of structure or stability at, in their home, right? Where they don't have a figure, either a mother or father that really, you know, helps them understand what it is that you're teaching. Right. So I know it's that much more important to them and that much more valuable. Right. Um, and James, I actually wanted to broaden the conversation a little bit. Right. And so breakdance and the art form itself really came to dominance in the 70s and 80s, from what I understand. Yeah, it started in like late 60s and was like growing in the Bronx through the 70s. And not until 1982 is really when the media picked it up because it was in the movie Flashdance. And that's when the media picked it up and it went worldwide. 
So in 82 is right when it really got big and took off. Got you. And so with that, during that era, it doesn't seem like as far as the mainstream, it's as prevalent or as, you know, has as much notoriety as it did back then. For those that think or say that breakdancing is dead, what do you say to those people? Yeah. So actually, there's a bunch of stuff that comes to that with this, you know, like it grew up in the exploitation era, right? So it looked like a trend. There's a lot of misconceptions with break-in. And, you know, people think that, oh, well, if if you're moving around on the ground, you're breaking. And, you know, that's not true. Breaking is just like any other dance. It has its foundation, its fundamentals, its structure. You know, I can tell if someone's really breaking or if someone's just mocking it, right? And so in the 80s, yeah, it blew up, but it was a trend. It wasn't even looked as an art form, right? It was just a trend, a fad, and it was going to go away. And uh, because of that, too, the media, right when it started going out in about 86 to 88, they just started pushing it down and putting everything negative that was happening with the dance into the media. So it, people stopped doing it, but not everyone, right? It, it went down into the basements and in the garages, and it went low, and then it came back in the in the 90s. Um, and it, then that started becoming more of an art form and a structure. So, you know, it is really frustrating that when people say that, and then I, I do talk to them about like, no, it has a dance, it has a structure. It's just like ballet. It's just like tap. It's like all other dance forms. And it gives and teaches these structures and stuff. And, uh, you know, I've gone through a lot of hate right because they're you know like i I talked to somebody and they're like what can you do with breakdancing and you know like it's crazy because i'll tell them you know while i i would tell them like oh i teach here 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 and and uh i taught at ballet met for a little bit and i would say ballet met and they would be like oh wow you must be really good because it's like the premier studio in columbus right and you know like i don't have anything wrong with ballet met but you know some of my teachings and best students came from other studios but because of ballet met it was the it was just the status of ballet met that got through to them not the dance right and it was real it's been really frustrating and um i was talking to a woman the other day and i was like oh i own a breakdancing studio right told her i own a business and she was like oh well what can you do with breakdancing like i just told you i own my own business right it's there's a lot of backwards thinking here not just with dance but just in general about a lot of stuff and and you know some of the backwards thinking with breakdancing is because it comes from a black culture and because it was the media the media has made it sound like nothing good or positive can come from a black culture or art form and you know the woman that i'm speaking to may not have may not be necessarily like direct racist but has racist ideals and that's one of them that has that has come through the media right because the media exploits these things and then puts all the negative stuff out and they you know people totally miss out on these things so like having to like talk to them and i'm like you know would you ever say that about ballet if i ever said i have about i own a ballet studio they would they would be like giving me high fives and hugs right or if i even irish step dance i own an irish step dance studio they'd be giving me high fives and hugs and be like that's awesome what are you doing you know like where can i come see you but when i say i own a breakdancing studio there's there's a negative reaction to it and i've gone through a lot of that but you know 
My thing is, as long as the way I try to go against that is as long as I, I know if I carry myself properly and I speak properly, then I can get through to people, right? If I, if I stay well-spoken and I, I carry myself with confidence, I'll be okay and I can change their mind. And sometimes it's using correct terminology to get them through the, the mind, right? I'll say breaking or b-boying or b-girling and they'll be like, what's that? And I'll be like, oh, well, it's actually the real name for breakdancing. And then they get more intrigued because there's actually terminology that comes with this culture and that comes with this dance. And then I was, I can start telling them about moves and I can start telling them about stuff. It's also being educated and having knowledge on the dance and on the culture as well. Um, and carrying myself and carrying those, as long as I, I carry the values that hip hop has given me and I carry it in that positive light that I can always reach somebody no matter their, if they have backwards thinking or not. So, you know, I just try to, um, give back and carry myself what hip hop taught me. Absolutely. And with everything that you've done, the way you carry yourself, the way the studio was operated from your view and the way you really impact the youth and even your adult students, like it's shown and it's evident that everything you've done up to this point has ultimately led to your success and your continued success going forward. And so, James, for our listeners that are actually interested in taking a class with you or those who may be timid, but you may have opened them up to the actual idea of taking a class, where can they sign up? Yeah, they can uh, always go to either Facebook, look up Flavored Flow Studio, Instagram, same thing, Flavored Flow Studio. They can always message me through those, flavoredflowstudio at gmail.com. On this, so they can always email me or even uh, 614-636-FLOW as a phone number, and they just call and leave a message or just you know stop in. Even if they're not trying to take a class that day, stop in, and we can go from there and talk about it, and I can kind of get them started and adjusted to a schedule. All right. That sounds amazing. And thank you, James, for hopping on the podcast with us. We really appreciate it. It was really insightful, really intriguing. And I got and I learned even more about the art form itself. So thank you, man. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Yeah. Thanks.